developing tomorrow's leaders all about educating, supporting, and inspiring the next generation of leaders. Pre-teens and teens today face many challenges that can and will affect their futures. They need a village of supporters that can guide, direct, and lead them on that path to success. Join Coach T and his village of inspiration. In this episode of Developing Tomorrow's Leaders, our guest today is Anne Delane Clark, who is a professional mediator and relationship coach. And a little about Anne is she's been helping people ask, listen, and respond better for over 20 years in the public and private sector sectors. As an interpersonal communication and conflict management expert, consultant, and educator, Anne helps others understand the power of conscious communication to improve relationships in businesses, government agencies, and groups, and I'll add families based on the platform we're on today across the nation. So I would like you all to help me welcome Anne to Developing Tomorrow's Leaders. Oh, well, thank you so much. And, and, and I want to add a little emphasis on that family part. Actually, that's where I'm specializing right now is in family communication. So awesome. Yeah, I actually uh, I should have uh, added that and, and told you that because we did uh, you did share that with me. And I was excited about that part of it because it's a great part of what we're going to talk about today. Uh, and one other thing I want to mention, um, I don't know a lot of guests that come on as well as I know Anne, and I'm going to throw a couple other things in there that she's you know, going to tell, is that she's also a rock collector, and she's an artist, and she's also a singer. So uh, she is multi-talented, and we are just blessed that she's taking time to join us. And we're going to be talking about conflicts really today, and as Anne mentioned about with families. And Anne, if you wouldn't mind... Um, Specifically, there are five types of conflict styles that people have, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what I'd like to do is just kind of go through each one of those. And if you could share what a uh, little brief definition of each and then maybe a pro and a con of each one, because I think our uh, listeners would really understand a little bit more about themselves and how they deal with conflict as well as with uh, within their families. Um, the first one I would ask you about is avoiding. Okay, so avoiding is something probably all of us do at some point or another. And so when we talk about these styles of conflict, almost every one of them we will incorporate and use at some time. But the, the, the point of describing them and bringing the pros and cons is that we each have a default style. People who are avoiding are people who do not like conflict you know, this is their default style once again. They don't like it. They want to um, keep away from it as much as they can. So whenever they see something that's happening, they either change the subject or they move away from it or they uh, engage somebody else. If it's a room, <laughs> they might engage someone else. They find some way to not deal with that moment of conflict right then. Now, there are great strengths in this because not every conflict is worth battling. And so um, when we want to use this approach is when it isn't really worth our emotional energy, time, 
or it could cause something worse if you engage in that moment. So if you can sense that the other person is really riled up about something and needs an outlet, engaging in them with conflict is going to probably exacerbate that and it won't be productive. So you would in that case want to avoid and possibly the changing of the subject or simply asking them something like, you know, I can see that you're very upset about this. Tell me more. So that's a that's a craftier, uh, crafty sounds sort of <laughs> negative. It's, it's a more uh, intentional, responsive way of avoiding to, to say, I see you're very upset or very connected to this subject and I'd like to hear more about what you think. And therefore, you don't have to engage in that thing that they are riled up about, and you can give them a little bit of compassion. The, the, um, the bad side is people who are avoiding all the time, or we can call them avoiders, uh, are usually not taking care of their own needs on a regular basis because they, they just can't handle you know, standing up or whatever, they can't handle that back and forth. And so they find every way to get out of it. And um, that can lead to resentments and not taking care of yourself. I mean, that self-sacrificing person that a lot of us know about. Yeah. So it sounds like the first part of that was it's uh, kind of like uh, the avoider is one that picks their battles. Like you're saying, instead of, you know, exhausting that energy or that emotional energy to deal with a certain uh, conflict that may not be worth their time, right? The skillful and reflective avoider is doing exactly what you said. Right. The person who just does it reflexively, they're not putting that much thought into it. Yeah. Yeah. Would you think there's there's another component where they're maybe hiding something by not addressing it to or maybe afraid something else might come about? Oh, yes, definitely. In family dynamics, definitely this happens a lot. I mean, I can tell you from my own experience in growing up, my father is definitely a conflict avoider. And the interesting thing about that is he's a lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) But I think, and he's a litigator, not just any kind of lawyer. He's the kind that argues in court. But I think because he's a lawyer, he understands the emotional cost that goes into really standing up and, and, and making an issue out of something. When it's really important to him, he does engage. But every other time he walks away. Now, sometimes in that situation, there were family dynamics that I grew up with that my father would walk away that really needed to be addressed. No, it's a great example, uh, especially, like you say, your dad being a litigator and, and being a border. That's a uh, perfect example. Well, that kind of leads to the next one, which is uh, the accommodator or one that is accommodating. So this is kind of an outgrowth in a way of being in a, avoiding, but it's a little more nuanced and it can lead to a lot of the same drawbacks as avoiding, but it, the accommodating person makes a judgment as to, you know, the, the, the reflective accommodating person makes a judgment about once again, is this worth my energy? Is it going to be productive if I resist in any way? If I can make it easy in this situation to just 
go along with what the other person. So the avoider walks away. The accommodator says, okay, I'll go along with what you want on this. Sometimes that is the perfect thing to do because the other person cares a lot more about it than you do. Or the, the majority of the group that you're in finds that this is the best method for them and you can't see any real reason to just to carry forward your disagreement with that. So you say, okay, I can go with the flow. Now, there are other times that accommodating will, like avoiding, will leave an issue that needs to be really talked out better and all of the alternatives need to be discussed better so that everybody understands what they're getting themselves into by choosing a particular path. So if we just accommodate, we're not allowing that kind of discussion in those circumstances where the discussion is is really a value, adds value to the situation. I would have part there that caught me was uh, weighing the importance of making it, or I guess being head straightforward with it and addressing it or hey you know what I think that this person cares more about this top this issue than I do and I'm going to just kind of let them have their their way this particular time because it's more important to them than it is to me did I take that right yes exactly and and especially too, you know once again in that family context we want to think about something you may have heard if you're a parent is choose your battles carefully and, and kids too, I, I think we can advise our children that is you don't as, get as good results from your parents in, in a family and, a, and, a, and you're, say you're a teenager and if you're constantly pushing back at what your parents ask you to do or they stop listening to you. And the same goes with the, with the parents. If you're constantly telling your kids, no, do it my way, the kids are going to stop listening to you after a while. They're not going to pay attention. They're just going to hear, oh, once again, mom says, I, I can't do what I want, or I have to do that. You're too accommodating. You'll be taken advantage of either way. And that's mm-hmm. what you want to, I hate to use the word, but that's what you want to avoid <laughs> is <laughs> you want to avoid that. Number one, somebody's always getting their way. And, right. you know, and then eventually you're going to be the one that's going to be getting a little bit more and more, uh, let's say, uh, feeling more uh, less and less appreciated. And then that just leads to more potential conflict. So so this next one, I think, is a no brainer, but I'm going to say it anyway. And that is the controller or the controlling style of conflict. Sometimes as a parent, especially, we need to make a decision right then and there. We have to put our foot down about something. It's, a, it's an urgent situation of some kind. This happens with parents a lot, actually. I mean, our kid is about to run out in the road or, or as they get older, they're about to make a serious mistake. And if you don't act right then and there, serious consequences could happen. That's when controlling is important. That's what we want to, to do in those moments of urgency or great import in which something could, serious consequences could happen if we didn't do that intervention, basically. What we want to avoid is being the parent who says, because I said so, because that actually is where the kid is going to start to tune you out. If you're constantly saying, because I said so, they're not going to pay attention to you anymore. So You want to choose those battles carefully, as I said earlier. You want to um, 
make sure that you you create a trusting relationship with your other people, members of the family, so that when you put your foot down and are a controlling, you know, take that controlling role, that you they listen and they pay attention. Now, when you are controlling, like I said, all the time, people stop listening to you. And it also makes them other resentful. So you don't want to build up resentment. You want everyone to trust you. It compromises. It creates a weakness in trust, creates a chink in the trust level. That is the foundation for any effective conflict management is having a good found, you know, good, strong level of trust between the members of the family that are there. Instead of saying things like, because I said so, we can, as parents say, you have to trust me. This is the right thing. I'll explain it later. And if you've created that foundation, your kid knows that you really will explain it later. And if, if, if you forget, they'll ask you. So you told me you'd explain it later. And then you have the opportunity to say what, what's going on. What I, I, I like that the part, this, this particular style, because it puts you in a position where, yes, you have to be straightforward and say, hey, this is what it has to be, because this particular situation requires me to make a decision. And I know you may not like it, but we can talk about it later. But right now, this is what needs to be done. And I think the last part you said is really important. And this is what a lot of kids say they miss is the secondary part. They hear mm-hmm. a lot because I said so. And they're like, okay, well, so I guess when I grow up, I can just use that too, because mom and dad used that on me. And then that cycle continues, continues, continues. So that's the one, to me, that's the, the pro that I really like about the controllers that you do get the opportunity to, you know, say, hey, this is what it is. And as long as you follow up on that and say, hey, we can talk about it later. And then you do, that child's going to be like, man, not only, okay, I didn't want to do it, but now I understand why in that particular situation. And I may not have liked it, but at least I got an explanation. So now that also leads to a better communication with your parents, because now you know you can go back and forth either way. Exactly. And and there are times where a kid needs as well to be able to say, mom, you or dad, you need to trust me. I know these people and this is going to be the best way to approach it. So this might not be an emergency situation, but something that's going on at school. Your parent suddenly says, I want to intervene. And you as the child need to say, that is going to cause more repercussions and stand up for yourself. So that's when you can take on that controlling role and say, you know, it it can also be called standing your ground. You can say, this is what's going to be the best thing in this situation. If I'm wrong, we can fix it later. But right now, this is the first approach I want. And I'm the one who has to to bear the consequences. Yeah, yeah. So that's no, a big part of it too. Yeah, no, I'm glad you mentioned that because it, it does go both ways in that regard. You know, the parents have been the ones to do that, but kids also should be empowered to do the same things because they're in a position to educate their parents too about what it's like to be growing up now because it's not like when their parents are growing up. We, you know, we've had that conversation. I think we all know that. We just don't say it enough. Um, so we come to the compromiser or the compromising um, approach. So 
So the interesting thing about compromising is that everybody thinks this is the best way to do it. You know, we can we can come to a compromise when there's a dispute, and there's a there's a um, a role play that I use when I teach mediation. It's kind of this well known among all the people who teach mediation out there, called the orange. Two kids come home from school, and they both want the last orange that's in the fruit bowl. And they get into an argument and they can't figure out, you know, who's going to win. And then, you know, the typical compromise would be to cut the orange in half and each one of them gets half. And in this scenario, the reality is we haven't figured out why each one of these kids wants the orange. Now, if they both want to eat the orange, maybe the compromise is the only way you can do it. They both are hungry. You know, that that makes sense. And in that sense, compromise ends up being probably the best solution. But in many circumstances, it isn't that straightforward. It isn't that they both want to eat the orange. So this one scenario is one kid wants to use the skin of the orange to do a science experiment for class. And the other kid wants to eat the meat of the orange. Now, clearly one can take the skin and one can take the meat, but they are so competitive with each other. They haven't asked each other why they need the orange. orange. (laughs) So that's where you've got to have communication to to figure out. And that leads us to our last one, but I'll, I'll, I'll get there in just a minute. Another example of how compromise doesn't work is um, is writ- is provided by a man named Chris Voss, who was the the lead uh, negotiator for the FBI, lead hostage negotiator for the FBI for many years. And he said, "Husband comes home from work. He's tired. His wife has a she has been part of a charity organization. She's." made all the arrangements. He knows he's got to go to this special dinner that night that's for the charity organization. She's all dressed up to the nines. He wants to wear his brown shoes because they're more comfortable. And she wants him to wear his black shoes because they look better with the suit that he's supposed to wear. And a compromise in that case is he would wear one brown shoe and one black shoe. Now, Who's going to be happy with that? Neither one of them. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's the perfect illustration of uh, frequently, actually, it's, it's kind of a ridiculous story because nobody would end up doing that. But it is a simple metaphor for a lot of times compromises that we come up with, neither party is happy with them. So in the case of the orange, if they had split the orange down the middle, the one child wouldn't have had enough skin to do the full experiment. The other child wouldn't have been very satisfied with only half an orange when he could have eaten two, you know, both halves of the orange. So it's once again, compromise. And when I was talking a little earlier, I, I started to use the word compromise when I and substituted chink in there. Uh-huh. We use that word compromised when we mean something's weakened, Right. right? It's right. not as strong. It's compromised. 
So we can make that association. When we compromise too much, we have compromised the strength of whatever our potential outcomes are. So that leads me into the last one, and I'll let you introduce that. Yeah, yeah. Before we get to that one is um, I'm going to give you my my answer to your scenario, Chris Voss's situation. My wife wants me to wear what? Black? Yeah. Guess what? I'm wearing black shoes because it's her night. (laughs) I can suffer through one night. So I would give in and, and do that. Uh, for me to be comfortable, she's not going to be happy with me all night being in comfortable brown shoes. So I think I like the to go with the black shoes. So I just wanted to throw that in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so that's when you are reflectively using your accommodating skills. Thank you very which much. It's very appropriate in that case. <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, leading into our last one is the collaborator. Um, so the so the collaborator the collaborator asks and this is almost always the best situation to do i mean basically it's the one that we want us to, to, to aim for most of the time but we choose those other ones when the circumstance is particularly right for those other ones so the co- collaborator asks more questions um they say like in the case of the orange, why do you want the orange? I mean, these two kids would get out of their argument instantaneously if one of them said, why do you want the orange? Oh, I need the peels. It's over, right? Now, in the case of the husband who wants to wear the brown shoes and the wife wants him to wear the black shoes, you could still have this conversation and then you could decide between you which issue is more important. It could be that that was a really super long day and you can see, and the wife can say, yeah, you know, I could see that you might not even be able to make it through the night. If I ask you to wear those black shoes, maybe we'll pick out something else that would go better with the brown shoes. And that's what you could wear. So you've, she's come up with another alternative. Yeah, yeah. That's the goal is we've asked a question as to why, and then We've then we can open up where in that when we're in that space of trust in the other person, we're actually using our greatest brain power, which is up here in the prefrontal cortex, our conscious greatest conscious brain power, and come up with a more creative solution than what we were thinking before the conflict started. We had a set idea of what we wanted. But now that we've asked questions of the other person and heard their story now, and we trust them, we're now cranking, thinking on that and saying, oh, yeah, well, there might be something that both of us can get what we want out of this situation. And neither one of us feels like we have to give something up. So finding a a nicer, a a nice suit that looks good with those brown shoes, that might be the, the solution to both of you having what you need. Now I can understand why that's probably the best. And the biggest reason is because it opens the door for the most opportunity for the big C word, and that's communication. Because the more you communicate, the easier it is to get to resolutions, correct? Yes, 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 definitely. Yeah, so I think that that's, uh, I mean, I think I love the way you broke each one of those down and saved the best for last is what I'd like to say. Uh, But but seriously, I think the the collaborating part uh, for 
for parents communicating with their or dealing with conflicts with their kids, even asking them questions when they have a, a particular situation, because the more they understand what their kids are thinking, the easier they can come up with the right style to use in a certain situation. It might be, hey, it might be one of those because I said so moments, but if I ask a question, now I shift from that to being a um, collaborator. Exactly. Or compromise. Or, or, yeah, or compromise. <laughs> right, right, whatever. But if you start from that space of being a collaborator, the person who wants to ask a clarifying or a um, a question to understand the situation better, you are going to shift into whatever mode is most appropriate for this situation. And you're going to pull that out from the other person. Soon as you engage that other person and ask them, well, what? tell me what's going on for you. That opens the conversation up enormously to um, creating better outcomes for everybody. And even if one person accommodates the other in in the ultimate situation that is not because well i just want to make my wife happy or i want to make my husband happy it is because you understand the situation better and you have now made a more informed decision based on all of the information and it's through that understanding that we create true compassion which is being in a space, it's, it's empathy with reflection, see? It's being in a space with the other person, understanding their point of view and reflecting on what's the best course of action moving forward from this space of understanding. Well, as you're describing that, you know, this is where I think uh, for those who are listening to this is to make sure you listen to this more than once, because as we're going through this and you're just explaining that I literally thought of, and I think I've shared this with you in the past is I thought about a, a situation I was in years ago and how that situation was dealt. And I honestly believe both parties dealt with it the wrong way. So we couldn't come to you know, the right uh, resolution. But ultimately, you know, the way we parted was great, but it also shows that it, we could have resolved it sooner. So we wouldn't have had to, to leave on those terms and basically admit that we were both wrong at the, at the 11th hour, if you will. So this are, these are uh, great uh, points that you've made, both the pros and cons about avoiding, accommodating, controlling, compromising, and collaborating styles of conflict. Transformation or uh, conflict for those of you that use it a lot, but uh, Anne is a proponent of transformation. And obviously I would love to have you back on and, and talk a little bit more about some of the other things to, related to uh, family communications, because being that you're really in that space a lot more now, we'd really love to have you. If you would like to get in touch with Anne, you can reach her via email at Delane D-E-L-A-I-N dot W dot Clark at gmail.com. That's Clark at gmail.com. And she would love to hear from you. If you have any questions, just feel free to reach out to her. She'd be happy to speak with you. And I want to thank you, as always, for being so gracious enough to take time out of your busy schedule to speak with me. Like I say, I feel like we've known each other about three years, but it feels like it's more like uh, it's going to age ourselves 30 years, right? <laughs> but it's always a pleasure. I am Coach G, and as always, I am here to educate, support, and inspire the next generation of leaders. And until next time, have a great day.